Amazon FM, episode 6, covering uh, the fifth mini-book of Gardens of the Moon, entitled The Guide Roby Hills. Uh, as I hope you've uh, noticed, I've now purchased an actual microphone, so hopefully you'll be getting a bit more of me this episode. Not to crowd, <laughs> not to crowd out Adam. But... Too much Adam is a bad thing, though. <laughs> okay, so even though this was the uh, shortest mini-book in the, the entire book, I believe, it was still there's a lot, a lot to talk about. Yeah, this is a it's a real roller coaster, and this is uh, sort of it's typical of all the Ericsson books through this series that they start off quite slowly paced, and then once you get to this kind of stage, it's there's really so much happening at the same time. It's uh, pretty exciting. It's funny because it's the pre-climax climax, I think. In a, in yeah, a, in a, <laughs> it's like a couple of ways where it's a bit of a pre-climax climax for a few characters, I, I think. Yeah. It's like there's this little mini convergence around the Gadrobi Hills before, uh, well, before we get to the end of the book as well. <laughs> yeah, um, in case uh, you were wondering what uh, convergence means, it's uh, it's something you'll be you'll be encountering quite a lot in the series. It's basically based around this idea that's prevalent uh, throughout the series that power draws power. So basically, if one guy, if one god shows up somewhere, all the other gods are going to show up because they want to kill or something the other gods. Uh, yeah, one of one of the things about, about Convergence is that a lot of the times the some of the actors in it are obviously aware of the role and they, they know that they're going there to, to deal with a particular individual, but others it just seems to be moved along by faith just so that all the pieces are in the right place when everything sort of kicks off. So um, yeah. it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, theme that uh, Ericsson really uses a lot through the series and it's... Uh, it gives some pretty spectacular uh, sequences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we start off with a uh, nice little poem by one uh, outrider, Hurloshell or whatever, about Sil- Silver Fox. And uh, I like this image of uh, Silver Fox sitting in front of the deck, just like this little girl but who has like these uh, memories of her previous life kind of buried deep inside her. And uh, of course, we do see her in this uh, briefly in this uh, reading. Um, yeah, it it's another one of these times when I read this, opened this book, and went to the poem at the start of book five, and, and I read it, and I was like, did I have did I have my eyes closed when I read this book last time? Was I was I paying attention at all? <laughs> it's pretty obvious that uh, this is uh, the the reincarnation of uh, Tattersail. It's not, uh, it's but... not even subtle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, it still passed me by. Uh, so if if anyone didn't get that, uh, you're in. Questionable company, at least, but company, <laughs> company <yeah>. nonetheless. <laughs> yes, and um, then we have a nice the chapter opens with something about the that Slanimas, or well, they're not named, but it's like saying as they vowed war against the Jaghood or whatever, which uh, also ties into Tool, who features a lot in this uh, book, uh, traveling with uh, Junk Florin. And, uh, also ties into some a uh, little mini revelation that Lauren has about uh, the Jaguar tyrant, which um, uh, we'll get to anyway. So, uh, yeah, we start with um, we start with Lauren. Uh, she's sort of still trying to get her head straight after the the, the events of uh, was it last week or the week she before was... where she where she'd been ambushed and yes. um, all the rest of that stuff's been going on. Yeah, and the uh, tool kind of pops out of the ground. And, uh, yeah. 
and then <laughs> poor tool shows shows how long he's been uh, away from from living females when he when he notices that there's something wrong with Lorne's face and asks her about it oh, and <laughs> pro- I, promptly I, gets his head bitten off. <laughs> yeah, I kind I like this uh, tool's like kind of like this alien uh, innocent kind of innocent uh, curiosity. Like it's kind of like uh, at the risk of a pop culture reference, uh, data from uh, Next Generation. Um, yeah, he's like, uh, is that significant? <laughs> yeah, there's there's sort of a, a detachment from yeah. from the living, but also there's a there's a kind of childlike innocence uh, yeah. to to uh, some of these characters that are sort of much more than human, or you know, they may, they may be immortal, but they have this sort of real vulnerability, which is uh, which is a credit to Erickson, I think, because he takes something that should be this sort of overpowered <laughs> sort of killer machine and gives it a real sort of a, a sense of heart. Yeah, I mean, Erickson is so gifted he could turn a uh, genocidal caveman, <laughs> undead caveman, into, yeah, a human, kind of. Well, humans are descended, I think, somehow from that spine and mass, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I think um, the implication later, but... is that they were sort of like a Neanderthal, like a precursor to humanity sort of thing. Something like that, which is actually also a bit of a theme in our chapter. It's uh, Lauren as a reflection on how where if the Malzahn Empire is a shadow of the first empire back in the Slanimas days. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, I don't know if there was ever like a set period of Slanimas. Like they don't seem to have gone extinct or anything, unlike the uh, some other races. Um, well, they kind of extincted themselves, didn't they, when they sort of chose to become. The, these sort of undead. Well, no. <laughs> well, no. I mean, um, if you're going, if your race is still going on genocide, I think that's a good sign. Uh, for... <laughs> that's that's a sign of life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, they they sort of exist between uh, extinction and existence, don't they? With the kind of they're undead and they're immortal, but they're not they're not flesh and blood living creatures no. any other. They'll never die, but they'll they'll never live. Yeah. Uh, also, a bit of a well. Actually, it's in the last chapter of the reading where someone talks talk about uh, something not being true. Like I think that was a call in Paran, but uh, we'll get to that anyway. So, so yeah, they'll start going to find the uh, barrow of the Jakku Tyrant, which is the Lauren and uh, Tool's mission. Um, um, I like how. Uh, this uh it's really this cool explanation and like tool explains that the barrows in another dimension it's kind of like inside the Octos Octos Felak yeah. Warren uh, which I think is a uh, cool like the bit smart smart enough not to put it on the earthly plane where we like looted. Yeah, it's it's actually a, an elusive sort of a info dump we get here. He tells us about the uh the the Warrens of the Andy, the Warrens of the Amas, uh, yeah. the Warrens of the the Jaguts. It's all just sort of nice little bits of world building info. Yes. Uh, that these these little breadcrumbs that Ericsson gives us to keep us yeah, slightly it, sane. It, <laughs> it, oh no, wait. Oh, uh, uh, see, I think this in this book, not here, but somewhere else. It's uh, the origin of the Tistandii is uh, first told, like how they were like expelled from a. Uh, Mother Dark's realm, which uh, it's really cool to see this kind of like uh, kind of harbinger of stuff that's literally happening in the, the Erickson prequel trilogy that's still going on. 
which is yeah. all about speed to scan the eyes. So even uh, 15 years later, we're still dealing with stuff from the gardens. But uh, yeah, shows how it all hangs together. And mm-hmm. yeah, so back to Lauren. Um, uh, yeah, so I like how, <laughs> how how it cuts away from the two of them with uh, him with uh, Tool explaining that. Uh, Starvald uh, Demolane was the uh, Warren of Dragons. Yeah, because <laughs> dragons is always a good way to cut to cut away. Yeah, and then uh, then we go to the the Phoenix Inn crew, ah, yes. who uh, they they're heading into the sort of blindly wandering into the Gudrobi foothills as well. well I'm not um, sure how blindly. <laughs> uh, I think only Croup really knows why they're yes. there. <laughs> Like, boy, poor, cro- poor Crocus has got no idea why he's there and yeah. why, why am I the only one without a sword? <laughs> it's like, what, do you mean we're not really working for a merchant? <laughs> well, of course. Uh, alchemy is a profession, I think. Yeah, yeah. You can sell potions if you like. I don't think Baruch's really into that, but... <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember even seeing him alchem anything. Uh, like, he's art alchemist supposed to try stuff to turn stuff into gold? Yeah, yeah. Uh, alchemy was the the practice of trying to turn lead into gold, but it could also, um, in a sort of wider fantasy sense, mean uh, sort of potions and elixirs and uh, that sort of thing. I guess. I know in uh, I know in World of Warcraft, the uh, the alchemy profession is all about potions and stuff. So. I never played. Oh, never <laughs> oh, really a, played. Oh, wow. Such such a time sink of a game. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Just uh, wandering into the uh, titular Gadrobi Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how they basically gradually, gradually get Tibbets on Call's uh, backstory until it's finally revealed at the end of the uh, of the, this book, the book five. Um, like here, they they uh, start they talk about Call a bit, how uh, he makes stupid decisions or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, he's like kind of a fool because he just walks around with armor for no good reason. Um, yeah, I like this gradual stuff. Um, and then uh, we cut to Sorry, who's on their tail. Mm-hmm. I like the observation um, that Sorry makes that between all the different actors in the in the the Phoenix crew, you've got a noble uh, or someone who can pass in sort of noble circles in Marillo. Marillo. Um, then you've got a uh, group who's got the, the thieves. Malik, uh, Ralik is the uh, the the eyes and ears in the assassin guild. And she thinks that uh, Cole's some kind of army guy. Uh, yeah. So she thinks they've sort of got all the main pillars of society. You know, between the four of them, they've got this network that stretches out. I'm not sure it's ever occurred to any of the <laughs> the Phoenix crew apart from Croup. <laughs> yeah, then you have Crocus who can kind of like walk around in the uh, slums, tenements, whatever of uh, Dojistan. But then again, that's what they all do. Uh, yeah, and I like I like when uh, he points out that Ralik's missing. Um, yeah. That uh, <laughs> Cole tells him, or is it Marillo tells uh, Crocus that he's he's the next best thing they've got to, <laughs> to Ralik. <laughs> it's not a really good thing. I mean, his his main skill is escaping and being. Uh, Manipulated by Opan or whatever, but uh, like he does carry a dagger, but I don't think he's ever used it. Um, but close enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's sneaky and uh, so that he can stay in the shadows. He's got half the job down. Yeah, uh, he just needs to learn how to 
kill stuff, and then he'll be probably pretty much all the way there. Yeah, and uh, then of course uh, when uh, they ask, like the Crocus asks Kruper, like, "What the hell are we doing here?" Kruper kind of launches into this uh, poem or like stream of metaphors, like like rats in the darkness or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's cute. He said he's another great example of Krupp saying so much without giving anything away. He's just sort of <laughs> bamboozles people with his uh, sort of mindless chatter. And <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, then we we cut back to uh, Gorn and Tool. And, yeah. Uh, there's my probably my favorite part of Lauren's arc, and I think basically the climax of her arc, as I mentioned, where basically she realizes... Uh, not knowing whether it was uh, Lauren or, or Lassine, how where we fear the Jagged Tyrant because he became human like us. Uh, and she basically realizes that history repeats itself so much. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, I feel I feel sorry for Lauren here because she she knows that what she's doing is ult- ultimately wrong. Uh, this this thing that she's gonna unleash, uh, but she's just kind of trapped in that this is what what her life is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she's kind of trapped in that and the cycle of, like, how she points out that the Mazan Empire is worse than the uh, uh, Swan and Mass First Empire because they had genocided uh, other race, the Jaghut, but the Mazan Empire kills uh, humans, uh, which I uh, get. Yeah. yeah. Humans are worse than the tyrants, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we really suck. <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, I think here it's the tool points out that the reason he was chosen for this mission is because he has no clan. And uh, yeah, it kind of introduces the alone part of Tool's uh, character. And, but he seems pretty chill about it. And he's like the guy with no clan. Yeah, and uh, Lorne realizes that they're both expendable and this is probably yeah. a suicide mission. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he. It's because uh, if he doesn't have any clan, then they won't be. If he gets enslaved by a tyrant, then they won't be enslaved together with him. And also that he's not a bone caster because bone caster would be too powerful and uh, like the tyrant. Uh, so yeah, and then we have uh, a little short section at the end of the chapter with Parin and Tak. Yeah, they're just following this this trail of uh, ravens that have been torched and turned inside out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, basically they talk. It's from uh, Talk's point of view, I believe, and he sees this uh, the air shimmer, and he's like, "Oh my god, it must be something from a war." And, and then the chapter ends. Uh, I like how uh, Talk Talk kind of calls back to. Uh, when it's pointed out that in Seven Cities, it's believed that if you lose your eye, one eye, you get the gift of inner sight because you kind of like see these like visions or something. It says, damn, Seven Cities yeah. superstitions. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the end of uh, chapter 14 with a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, uh-huh. uh, luckily, we got the next chapter right here. Uh, this, is a, this is a great chapter coming oh, up. Yeah. I, I, I love this. Uh, here we have, starts off with Quick Ben um, selling out Airlock. Well, he's basically, yeah. Um, yeah, he's 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 starting his ritual, uh, and he's got uh, trots watching over him in case anything goes wrong. Yeah, and he reflects that he doesn't know much about trots, um, which was a nice uh, character building uh, moment, I think, for, for both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been fighting so many battles of trots, and I don't know much about him except he's uh, good in fighting. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I think that it's here that the first empire is mentioned. I, I wish we could, like, heard more about the, this uh, era, ancient era, of, like this, uh, the great Jakut war, Jakut mass war, though, even though it's not technically over yet, because there are still a few Jakut left, uh, I believe. Um, uh, I would really like to hear a lot about what went on. With this, uh, basically, when your entire existence is just to destroy someone. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we we may still get some closure on uh, what happened back then through the through the prequel trilogy. I don't know. I don't, uh, know. I don't know how much scope uh, the the sort of darkness, light, and shadow uh, is going to have time wise. Who knows? Uh, anyway, so uh, and then we get the Phoenix crew, as you so uh, helpfully dubbed them. No, seriously, things. <laughs> It's a, it's a good uh, byword. Uh, anyway, so they finally run into Lorne, who attacks them for some reason. Even she doesn't know, really. Um, and Crippa uh, here is here in a rare, rare moment of weakness because of uh, Lorne's Otaro sword, which uh, deadens her magic. Uh, so he can't do magic. And uh, basically she wounds Call and uh, gives Marilio a hit on the head with the flat of his sword. So he's out. Yeah, it's it's quite funny because they, they all sort of start fighting each other with, without sort of having time to think about what they're doing, and then suddenly once they get time to breathe, Lorne's like, "Should we, should we not fight right now? Is that okay?" And everyone's like, "Yep, yeah, let's let's leave each yeah. other alone." <laughs> but but go away or else I kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Then we get um, Parin reflecting that Tox is only friend, and he's dragging him along on this Crazy. dangerous revenge mission. What, what, what is Parin after? Uh, to kill Lorne? Vengeance. He wants to kill Lorne and uh, save the bridge burners because oh, yeah, of course. He, he's under the belief that uh, Lorne's mission is basically to wipe out the entire bridge burners, and he was being used uh, by <laughs> her. Achieve think that. about it, that kind of is true. Oh wait, I just realized that this whole tyrant thing was gonna—it's supposed to like destroy Durgistan, right? And that would, Pre- yeah. So that would include the bridge burners. <laughs> yeah. Um, Plus, I think um, at the time the tyrants attacked. to weaken uh, Rake. Yeah, because uh, when the tyrant attacks, I think uh, the bridge burners were supposed to be underground, uh, digging under the walls of uh, the city. So you can imagine uh, if the city starts getting destroyed and they've been weakening the ground underneath it, they're probably going to get buried like the guys at Pale did. Wow. So, <laughs> See, this is why I do this podcast, so I can uh, pretend to be smarter than I am. <laughs> no, I mean, I do. I just didn't realize it. That, that's pretty smart, actually. Got to give uh, Lucene uh, credit. Yeah, that that's the plan. That um, I think it was in chapter uh, book three, the mission, where uh, Whiskey Jack says that they've got the stupid plan and he's tore it up because it was designed to get them killed. But why would fitless- they tell him like the, the ty- I'm pretty sure the tyrant thing is, is supposed to be a secret. Oh yeah, no, he doesn't know about that. He just knows that the plan's obviously oh, designed yeah, to get stupid. killed based on what happened at Pale and yeah. his own suspicions about uh, what yeah. the Empire thinks of him. Uh, <laughs> it's funny though that uh, Lauren kind of. Uh, reflects on the various gods involved, and she seems to completely be unaware of the situation with uh, Opan and uh, Crocus being the, the coin bearer, uh, which is yeah. interesting. Even was... though I'm not sure if she knows about uh, Oparan being uh, No, she thinks he's dead. Oh, wait, but before. Oh, 
she she's completely out of the loop at this point. Uh, yes, everyone's out of the loop or something. Can't <laughs> I really can't be in all the loops, and um, yeah, even as a reader. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, Lorne's sort of got quite particularly out of touch information. She thinks that uh, Parrin died uh, when he arrived in Pale. Got stabbed. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, he did technically die. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, speaking, That's true. speaking of our favorite uh, captain, uh, we cut back to his situation, and guess who pops out of the war in it? Hairline. The evil puppet. <laughs> the one, the uh, fantasy's greatest mad puppet, Hairlock, uh, who gives a very good final performance uh, as uh, yeah. spewing his rage and his threats. It's typical, like, I'm going to kill you so slow, Parrin. I'll show you what hatred can do and all the rest of this stuff. And then he, yeah. he does something to talk, banishes him, kills him. No, he, like the warren is still open and then uh, basically talk gets uh, thrown into the into the tear and we don't know what happens to him. Yeah, and then as as Hairlock's in the middle of giving his evil genius monologue, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he gets, gets interrupted by the, the baying of hounds. <sighs> I like how Hounds is capitalized. Oh, yeah. It always lets you, tips you off that something not particularly pleasant is going to happen. Uh, And uh, And then, very briefly, cut to quick Ben watching. (laughs) Goodbye, Hairlock. (laughs) It's a bit of a creepy moment for quick Ben as he uh, quite literally cuts Hairlock's strings. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, our kind of heroes are not immune to manipulating other people for their selfish ends um, as uh, basically just manipulated her- the quick band manipulated Hairlock for his own ends to get information on the Opon or whatever and once he didn't need him just sold him out to ship to Shadow Throne yeah. yeah I mean Hairlock needed to die though I mean <laughs> no, but I, I still remember I still remember from episode one when we were talking about uh the siege where we first meet Hairlock, and he, he still, I, can, I still can't help but feel for that guy. I mean, like, no one likes him. He has to pay the horrors twice as much to get, <laughs> to get at me. <laughs> but, yeah, doesn't matter in the end, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, you were fun while you were around Hairlock. Um, so, that's one thing that I might not have minded having in the series longer, the Mad Puppet. But... I guess there's only so much pulp you can get, you can uh, have. <laughs> and then we've got um, Parrin sort of really nihilistic at this point. He's uh, he's so sort of, he's ready for death. He doesn't care anymore. He's just tired of being used and he just wants his revenge. Uh, and then uh, Ray, Anamanda Rake. <laughs> That's it, Anamanda Rake. <laughs> and he's just an absolute badass at this point. Just yeah. swoops in. He's beyond uh, good and evil now. He's just badass. Yeah. Uh, so basically, he's like, choose out Shadow, Thro- Shadow Throne appears in his uh, usual giggling self. Uh, so basically, uh, Red Break tells him to uh, butt out of uh, Dujistan um, and uh, withdraw the hounds. But not before he uh, kills two of the hounds with uh, the sword Dragonfor, which... Uh, we finally get to see what the whole hype of uh, chains rattling and wagons and uh, a terrible screens. We finally get to see what all the rage was about this chapter. Uh, 
as after uh, Rake and Shadowthrone get a deal, which also includes the rope cotillion who was possessing Sari, uh, leaves her. And uh, after a bit of conversation, Rake leaves Perrin, who feels a bit sorry for the hounds, actually, uh, oddly. Uh, yeah, he's kind of, uh, he's got this sort of weird bond with the hounds uh, yeah. ever since ever since he first uh, wounded, uh, was it Gear that he Gear, yes. wounded? Yeah. So he, like, runs his fingers over the blood of one of the hounds, and he gets <laughs> transported into a sword. This one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has a, a VIP ticket to uh, Hell Within a Sword because <laughs> he doesn't have chains. Well, everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, so he meets a stranger who I'm pretty sure is someone we don't we don't really know yet. Um, yeah. He's he's someone who everyone who goes into the sword seems to have a conversation with when they first arrive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hello, welcome, welcome to Dragonport. <laughs> Want to guide a tour? By the way, these chains are unbreakable. Yeah. Except uh, not quite. Um, and uh, basically, uh, Parent sees how miserable everyone is, just marching along to terrible pain forever and stuff that but he so he decides to summon Opan and he gets uh the Lord who is the bad luck to God. Um he says like oh crap I, I I want your sister, not you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, but anyway, uh Parin yeah, manages to extort the the release of the hounds by what is the first um display of the another running theme of the series of basically a god being controlled by mortals uh, like uh, don't mess with mortals basically uh, Opon gets uh, M. Opon gets uh, yeah. really, really pa- panicky he's like please, please please let me out of here let me out of here uh, I'll do anything uh, yeah I mean he's, he's he's literally he's begging for mercy at this point yeah. uh, so you've got mortals. this sort of whatever he is 18 year old kid who's <laughs> got this god by the scruff of the neck begging for mercy. Yeah. And uh, that's just that just sums up this series. I think I just love that sort of idea about the, the relationship and the power balance between the mortals and the gods and it's like for all their power they can they can be killed by mortals and I mean the definition they rely on us. The definition of a god in the Malzon universe I think is just uh, an ascendant with worshippers. Although of course no one can really uh, define an ascendant. I think I think it just means someone who gets becomes powerful enough to become immortal or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so if you you're worshipped you become a god. Uh, but of course you only I guess you get it's a I guess it, it is kind of a trope though, like, yeah, a god only has as much power as worshippers he has, but yeah. I'm not sure where it originated. Uh. Yeah, I, th- I think there's sort of the idea of gods running out of worshippers. Uh, we've had that already in this series with Karul. Uh, yeah, um, but he kind of is back. He's yeah. back because someone accidentally murdered someone in his temple. <laughs> yeah, looks like the universe doesn't care. Yeah. So the gods don't seem to really die fully, they just sort of, I don't know, hibernate until uh, good gods don't they come die. back they into... Just away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, back on topic. Um, so basically, by uh, doing doing something with the, the Warren of Darkness, well, what was that about? Uh, Perrin uh, gets the two hounds who were killed by Rake, and himself out of uh, Jagvipur. Crazy wagon, ever, ever riding war- wagon within a sword. 
Um, yeah. What exactly was that? What was was going on? I didn't really get how they did it. Well, he got the. It was like all the chains that everyone who's pulling this wagon is yeah. are attached to all go into like basically a portal into Kuruld Galane. Is it? Yeah. Uh, the the darkness warren. Yes. Um, and he gets the hounds to jump through there, and based on uh, Oppen's hunch, that makes the uh, the chains disappear. So in theory, that frees the hounds, and then I think because. By touching the hound's blood, Parents linked to them when they when they're freed. Obviously, he's not chained in there, so he's then free to leave. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, it's. I think Ericsson's deliberately unclear about a lot of these. Things. God, I, think, I mean, yeah. Because um, if you know how magic works, is it really magic anymore, or is it just really cool science? So it's. Like... Uh, yeah, I guess. Um... Yeah, and actually, um, Perrin has a bit of a pang of conscience when he realizes that uh, even though rape can be pretty scary, he's basically usually justice justified, and he's scared. Like, he's why is he releasing creatures that uh, rape has decided to uh, imprison? Like, uh, he could be releasing uh, like horrible stuff on the world. Yeah, uh, which uh, is not entirely unfounded. Uh, well, the it, the hounds are pretty horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything we've seen of them so far up to this point, uh, up, right up until the point where one of them graciously decides not to bite Parent's head off. <laughs> yeah. uh, everything we've seen up to that point is that they're pretty much like devil dogs. So uh, yeah. <laughs> he's he's just sent unleashed two of them back on the world. May not be the uh, the greatest act of good he's ever done. <laughs> yeah. Um, he'll still but it came from a sort of it came from a good place of sort of mercy and yeah. compassion. So yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yes, um, this basically embodies a bit of a theme throughout this uh, mini book of basically being freed. Uh, we saw this even actually did with um, Hairlock, although not exactly in a good way. <laughs> when he got freed from uh, his strings, and yeah. Uh, here, Paran, um, yes, uh, Reika even points out that uh, Opon is no longer controlling him, and he even actually reverses the tide on Opon. And yeah, it's a bit of a, a theme that's come, like, before we had a theme of being a puppet, being controlled by uh, other people, and now it's kind of been reversed, uh, which I like to see like that. And yeah, so he basically emerges out of sword and is like, what the heck am I going to do now? Uh, I th- is this uh, when he meets the Re- Revi? Uh, no, that's that's uh, next chapter. Ah, okay. it's, uh, after his after his encounter with Rake and his little trip into the, the sword, yeah. uh, he he comes across the Rivi. We'll get to that. Uh, anyway, parents. Ah, yes. So now we go back to uh, the crew who are kind of separate at this point, and uh, they see Sari, a bit uh, a bit of a confused teenage girl, on their way on. Yeah, poor, poor Sari. Uh, she's she's had all this. Um, she just suddenly wakes up in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Doesn't know where she is. Last thing she remembers, she was getting the nets for her dad. Yeah. Uh, so she's been, obviously, pushed all the way deep down uh, while uh, Cotillion's been possessing that body. Now he's gone. She doesn't. She doesn't seem to have any memory at all at the moment of of what's happened in the last. I think it's about four years. Isn't Something it? like that. <laughs> Two or three years. Yeah. It's it's a pretty big gap to have in your memories. Yeah. 
And uh, I like how uh, I think Morelia or Carl said, like, uh, tells Crocus, uh, why don't you go flirt with her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they meet up, and uh, they kind of leave Carl in uh, at the planes. <laughs> uh, Morelio gets uh, totally scandalized. Well, and he's like, uh, "Wait, what, what? What the hell? There's uh, like the Mazan and uh, crazy uh, mascot there. Why, why are you leaving Carl there for?" It totally flips out, and uh, Crip's like unfazed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they need to. Uh, Crocus needs to get um, sorry back to uh, Mammoth, doesn't he? Uh, yes. And, uh, uh, Krupp and Murillo have things to do. Something to, yeah, they've got to protect Crocus because uh, Krupp reveals to uh, Murillo about about the coin and uh, that Crocus is Oppen's chosen. Yes, that's why they need to protect him. So they have to take off, and Cole needs to just mend up for a bit before he can come <laughs> back. <laughs> it is a bit of a uh, fishy plan, I think. Uh, so it doesn't turn out that bad for Carl. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so then we have the the attack on uh, on, on Parent by the Rivi. Ah uh, yes, uh, and he just sort of miraculously his sword just deflects all the spears. Or... <laughs> yes, and, uh, I I and, really I really think this is this shows kind of um, Ericsson's power because you know an, a less good Arthur would have made it kind of cheap. You know, like Parent's love interest just died and now they meet up already. But uh, here, because it's not exactly not exactly a reunion, it's a bit, it's a it's very powerful, I think. Yeah, I yeah, because uh, it's sort of the the this uh, sort of pair of lovers are reunited, but now one of them's inhabiting the body of a child, uh, <laughs> which yeah. which makes the relationship uh, well inappropriate going forward. <laughs> yeah, is it? but then uh, the old woman says like. Uh, well, she doesn't know you in the slight as a, like, when he first, when Pan first sees her, he's like, child, do I know you? And, yeah. And like, yeah, it's, uh, pretty she's, she's already got that, that, uh, sassy expression though, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how he recognizes her by the sort of, the half closed eyes and the smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so basically the old woman says, like, you'll, you'll see, you'll see her again, see her again. And then, like, this, this, like, kind of cinematic moment where he, where parents, like, shouting, wait! While the, the veteran, like, kind of, like, stampede, huh? Which I thought was a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, also a good point. Um, and then he goes and makes friends with Cole? Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, we, Parent seems to attract a uh, bromance. Uh, like I don't know why. Um, Which is funny because he's he's constantly talking about how he's got no friends and no one's you know Tox his only friend. And wow. every time he meets someone, it's like this is the first person I've met who's been decent to me and forever. And then within the space of this book, he's picked up quite a few. I think he doesn't really give himself as much credit in the uh, the friend making departments as he should. He seems to do all right. Yeah. I mean, and uh, here we have a key conversation where Carl finally reveals his uh, backstory and he seems to be a bit sober now. Um, yeah. Basically, for those uh, who are too lazy to read it, um, basically Carl was a rich uh, dude who fell in love with a whore, or a courtesan, we'd say. Um, and uh, she was so, somehow she managed to uh, trick him out of all his uh, stuff and have him listed as dead. Basically taking care. I guess she was like taking advantage of uh, 
I think she got him to, to will all her stuff, his stuff to her or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think because they were married, it was like yeah. if you die, everything passes to your partner, and she'd uh, conspired with various other members of the council. the council, uh, like uh, is it Terbinor and a few of the others, um, yeah. to to sort of engineer his downfall um, as a, as a rival of theirs, and obviously she was sleeping with all of those guys as well, which is uh, where where we first saw her when Ralic killed um, was it Councilman no, no. Lynn. Lynn, yes. Yeah, uh, wow. when they were on the balcony together, so that was like the beginning of uh, uh, Marillo and uh, Relic's uh, plan to uh, to right the wrong. Yes, and uh, <laughs> so basically because of that, he uh, that, that's how he developed his uh, crazy uh, alcoholism. To, yeah, like, you know, shut the pain away, and then uh, we have a bit of a philosophical um, conversation about uh, what is living really. Like basically, Taran uh, like uh, reflects on when he lived with the nobles back in uh, Malaz, is it saying, "Oh, it wasn't light because everyone was like so fake and stuff." And then, and he's like, kind of like, uh, I think was trying to console, call for losing all his stuff, yeah, like being riches and all. Yeah, it's cracked up to be. And then uh, Carl says, "Thing is, I want it all back." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you get those sorts of. Uh... There's sort of sayings about how money doesn't buy you happiness, but it, do, it does buy you a, a higher standard of misery. Oh, yeah. Good thing. A nice house to be sad in. That's something too, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, and then there's a, to close out uh, the mini book, there's a little joke about wine. It's like, uh, he asks, uh, Parent asks what vintage the wine is. So, um, Carl says, it's a week old, meaning, when he gets running out of time. <laughs> no, it's funny because when you like kind of like skim and stuff, you think it's like some kind of portentous uh, line or something to close the book. And then <laughs> when you actually read yeah. the context, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a nice way to uh, end this, this uh, week's reading. So that was The Gad Roby Hills. Uh, next, we have another short book, but I think the last one that's really short, The, the City of Blue Fire. Which I think is about a hundred pages, so it's doable. Yeah. In uh, one episode, yeah. And um, uh, customary send-off notes: if you haven't liked us yet, then uh, repent for your crimes by going to Facebook and uh, searching Miles on FM podcast. Uh, also, do do remember we have a blog at milesonfm.blogspot.com. We've already got one comment. Uh, keep a uh, uh, what's his name again? Uh, moment. Um, keep him company on oh, my internet slow. Oh. Well, now now that we've had the, the, the there was the comments earlier this week complaining about your microphone. So so now hopefully we'll have a couple of people saying it sounds so much better now. Because <laughs> yes, uh, it, it, it really is night and day the difference. It's so much easier to hear you this week. <laughs> so yes, keep uh, Mr. Donald Benjamin uh, company and uh, make sure to comment. We really 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 appreciate. Uh, getting actual feedback from people who listen to us. Uh, he says, great job, guys. Uh, uh, he comments on how he can't hear me. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> keep it up. I love the commentary and the different perspectives. It's also great to be able to live in the Malazan world for, e- for a little while, even when I drive. Thanks. And, of course, uh, thanks to Donald, if you're listening. They, I hope you're happier now that you can hear me. Uh, so, yeah. 
And, of course, rate us on iTunes. We still haven't gotten enough ratings for uh, representation. I hope our listeners can rectify that soon. Anyway, well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all in two weeks for the City of Blue Fire. Yep, thanks, everyone. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.